for those of you who are new, I, I haven't preached for like five weeks. There's some people who've come to our church for over a month and never heard me preach. Sorry, today's the day. Um, and you get to hear me. Craig gave me extra time before I hadn't preached for five weeks, so I was going to go on for a long time, So, which is probably true. So um, buckle up. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We are in a discussion of spiritual gifts that we've been doing all summer. And I just want to give my hand away here from the, from the very beginning. Uh, we're into the... Um, I think uh, even Chase said it a couple of weeks ago. We're into the weird ones. You know, you've you got teaching, serving, and now, yes, today we're starting to get into really the, the, and the reason I'm preaching is because no one else wanted these gifts uh, to share about, uh, to talk about faith, healing, miracles, and um, <laughs> this guy's we have too. Probably next week is the week you'll bring your kids or grandparents or mom and dad because it's the why I speak in tongues, why you should too sermon. Uh, it's on tongues and interpretation next week. So uh, if you have questions about any of this stuff, um, we have a, um, a, a Slido that you can go to and add your questions. Uh, this is the last week this is going to be open. I'm going to try and answer questions about spiritual gifts. Uh, especially tongues and interpretation next week, which seems to be the one that that a lot of people have questions questions about. Uh, while I was uh, not preaching over the last five weeks, um, one of my children, uh, my oldest son, moved, and he moved from North Carolina to Oregon. Yeah, he's now uh, assistant soccer coach at Oregon State University. Probably watching. Hi, Jared. Hi, Sarah. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, they moved across the country, and um, I don't know, in this day and age, what, what happens is they, a college or university, they say, hey, here's X amount of dollars, get here, uh, kind of thing. And it's not quite enough money to actually hire a moving company to, to get you across country, so you do the thing that you would do, you call your dad and say, would you drive a moving truck across the country for me? And so I had the privilege um, of driving a, a moving truck with Jared um, from North Carolina to Oregon. It's about 3,000 miles. It took about 50 hours of driving uh, because they only go 70 miles an hour. That's as fast as they'll let you go in that truck, which is probably the right thing to do. Uh, even though the speed limit in Wyoming is 80 miles an hour, you can't get up to that. You're going 70 for hundreds of miles. One of the things I learned is this is a big, stinking country. I mean, it is big. In case you underestimated the size of the country, it is, it is huge. And I feel like that when I'm discussing this topic of spiritual gifts. This, this is a massive topic that is um, limited to several places in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4 are the places where spiritual gifts are discussed. And that we come away with, in some ways, more questions than answers. And there are certain aspects... Um, Chase tried to do a great. Chase did a great job uh, a couple of weeks ago of trying to discuss, for instance, words of wisdom and words of knowledge. I, I mean, we we just don't have enough info 
to adequately say this is exactly what this is and this is how this, is how this operates. So I, I, I'm giving my hand away in this. This topic is way too big for the morning. Faith, miracles, healing. I can't really cover all the aspects of it. Number two, we're going to talk about why do people say these gifts no longer exist? Why is that discussion even on the table? Why are there huge swaths of Christendom that say these gifts don't exist anymore? And third, because we do believe these gifts exist, how can I encourage you to lift up your eyes and see the possibilities of what maybe God wants to do in you, to you, through you, to touch the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So those are my goals for this morning. Here's what Paul says, and going back to 1 Corinthians 12, hopefully you turn there. Starting in verse 1, he says this, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. All right, look up here for a second. What's the implication here? Yeah, idiots. You know, um, Kathy and I, we joke all the time where one of us will say something and the other one will joke and just kind of say, you know, you could have just put idiot on the end of that statement. You know, kind of like it's implied, it's not said, but there's something about the tone of it that says, what are you thinking, you idiot? You know, you could add idiot on the end of it. That's kind of where Paul is about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant, but for some reason you are. Not you, um, but... We are, honestly. The church is as a whole. And he goes on and says, Do you know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced to let astray to mute idols? And again, what he's saying here is there's a deception that's taken place. You were led astray. I don't want you to be led astray. That's what ignorance is. You're being led astray. Something's missing, and you don't know it's even missing. Because you're deceived. And that's the terrible thing about being deceived is no one walks in deception on purpose. Usually when we're deceived, we're ignorantly blissful about what's going on. Just to let you behind the curtain just a little bit. I'm a pastor. My brother is a pastor. And one of the things pastors do is we try to empty our pockets before we go up to preach on Sunday morning. I'm reluctant to tell you this. So all of my stuff is generally on the front row. I take my phone out. Um, I don't do what I'm about to tell you anymore because of my brother. But I would put my keys on the, you know, I just don't want to fiddle with stuff. And it doesn't look as good. Anyway, put it on the front row. One day my brother's preaching, put his phone, put his keys on the front row. He comes, he, he looks down at the front row after he's finished preaching, church is over, he's been greeting everyone, everything's done, he goes to get his keys, goes to get his phone, and his phone and his keys are gone, not there. And so he's like, I, I think I left him in my office. Goes to his office, can't find him, goes out, not only is his phone and his keys missing, but now his car is also gone. Uh, from, from church. Someone stole his phone and stole his car uh, at church from the front row. There's a special place in Hades for those kind of people who steal from the pastor on the front row of church. He was ignorant about it for a long time. 
You know, I mean, he didn't know. My car's gone. My, my, my phone's gone. Now, fortunately, uh, some people are even stupider than we are because if you take someone's phone and you steal their car, the police have no trouble finding the car with the phone in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> They've got the phone in the car. So, listen, God doesn't want you to be ignorant about this. And there's a reason why spiritual gifts have been given. There's a reason we need to know about it. And we need to know about all of them. He goes on and says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3, Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is his Lord except by how? The Holy Spirit who indwells us, who infills us. We need the Spirit of God because there are certain things we can and cannot do apart from the presence of God in our lives. We're going to come back to this point, but it's really important that we have the presence of God indwelling us, filling us. He goes on and says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Different gifts, same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God. Hey, by the way, for those of you who care, notice the Trinitarian nature of this um, the way this is framed. Um, same spirit, same Lord Jesus, same God the Father, different kinds of working, works in all, all, all of them, in all men, all people. Now, this is critical, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Why are spiritual gifts given? Building up in the body of Christ for the common good. They, they do build you up, but that is not their main purpose. They build you up so that the body is built up. Just as your arm is stronger, it makes your body stronger if you lift weights. But in general, the idea is they're given for all of us. This is critical, people. They're given for all of us. You've been given a gift to help me and to help us. And if you don't recognize that gift, if you're walking into ignorance of it, if you refuse to use it or you use it only for yourself, believe it or not, you're robbing the body of Christ. Just as that person stole my brother's wallet, stole his keys, robbed him, in a sense, I don't want to get too harsh, but you're robbing the body of Christ from being built up because that's why it's been given. Also, who receives this manifestation of the Spirit? Each one. That means you. You can't go away saying, you know, I'm so glad Pastor Bart is gifted, or Elder Chris is gifted, or Elder TV, or Miss Kathy. I'm so glad they're gifted, but I, I didn't get anything. No, no, no. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You did get something. You, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit has been given for the common good. I know I keep hammering this, but this is the idea of spiritual gifts. You've been gifted in some way in order to see the body of Christ be built up. Now, then he starts naming gifts, which we've covered, and skip down to verse uh, 9. Here's the ones I want to cover. To another, faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. So today I'm covering faith, healing, 
and miraculous powers, just a couple of lightweights for us to kind of blitz our way through over the next few the next few minutes. So let me start with this. Let me start with the commissioning of these gifts. In other words, the receiving of these gifts. And in point two, I'm going to talk about, just, I'm feeding forward just a little bit. I'm going to talk about why do people say these gifts don't longer exist? Why they, they were given, for sure, but then there's a segment of church that says they are no longer given. Why is that? What, what is the criticism here? But first, let's just talk about uh, the commissioning of the gifts. And, and I want to say full out, we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are still available today. That's the theological position of our church. We be, we're what you would call continuationist. We believe gifts started in the early church and have continued on through now. And I'll give you our reasons why in just a minute. But some of them are going to come out in this first point. Let's talk about in verse 1-8. Paul, uh, this is Jesus. This is the great commission, right? Part of the commission. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We, we in evangelical circles, we, we hold this verse very dearly, that we are to be a disciple making. Go back to, and look at uh, Matthew 28, the end of Matthew, where Jesus commissions along the same lines. All authority has been given to me. Then says, now Go preach the gospel, that, that great commission idea. So here's my contention. We were commissioned to share the gospel with the world around us. And in the sharing of the gospel, I believe this. We were not given less power. We were not given less authority in the modern church. In other words, does it not seem possibly unfair that God gives me the same mission, commission, go share the gospel with everybody. Oh, but by the way, I'm only giving the early guys power. I'm only going to give the early church the authority to do it. Uh, one of the life-changing experiences of my life, honestly, was I'm from a Baptist background. I know we're still Baptist here. But the Great Commission was critical John 3, 16, Matthew, 8, uh, Matthew 28, first verses we ever memorized. But in it, in it, somehow I got the message, you've been given this commission to go do on your own. Just as I somehow picked up the message, God saved you, but now do the best you can to live the Christian life on your own. But really what Jesus is saying is this, hey, I've been with you guys for this amount of time. Now you go and pray and wait until you receive power from on high. When this power comes, and what are we talking about? The personal work of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Holy Spirit? Then go and share the gospel. Go to the world. Tell them. We were commissioned. Here's my premise. And we could talk about this for a long time. But my premise is this. I've been given the same commission, but in the context, I've also been given the same power to accomplish that mission. The word here is dunamis. The word is power. 
And this word is used throughout, even what we're going to see today. Um, we'll come back to it again. But I, I want us to understand that in and what God has called us to do, we've been commissioned to go and share the gospel, build up the body of Christ, be the people of God. But we also have been given the personal work of the Holy Spirit with the same spiritual gifts in order to accomplish that purpose. That's my whole thesis statement for this morning. That's the premise. Okay, let's look at these three gifts. First is faith. Now, let me say this. There's the difference between saving faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abraham is the father of faith. There, we, we all are recipients of faith, but there's also this aspect of a gift of faith. And Paul even says in uh, that, that idea of mountain-moving faith. He's going to come back in chapter 13, right after this. You know the famous chapter on love, where he's talking about spiritual gifts and love. But he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. When he's talking about faith here, this gift of faith, it's different than saving faith. It's this aspect of faith that Jesus talks about even in Mark 11 where he says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. This aspect of mountain moving faith. Oh, by, by the way, how much of this gift of faith do you need to accomplish great things? about the grain of a mustard seed, right? You don't need a ton. You just, it's a gift of God, though. It's implanted by you, in you, by him. We have these people that have just this incredible faith that God is actually going to do what God says he's going to do. I, I call these people um, the people who live on the edge of the cliff. You know, if, you, if you've ever climbed mountains, there's always some spot where you come to the cliff and you look over and you say, I'm dead. If I fall, I'm dead. And I always am like this, whoa, I'm taking a step back. But do you know there are people, as far as faith is concerned, they're always on the cliff and they're, come look. This is awesome. Come see what God will do. We need people in the church like that who will pull us along, people who will help us see the possibilities of what God could do. Because most of us will stay back. It's, you know, I am very comfortable right here. This is where I like. This is really nice for me. We need those faith people to help pull us along. They help us within the context of the church. We need to embrace that. You know, Unfortunately, what a lot of the church wants to do is they're back here comfortable. The person's over here living faith saying, hey, come look, and someone kicks them from behind. <laughs> I don't want to hear from that kind of people. Just, now they are no longer exist, so I don't have to feel uncomfortable. We need people who pull, pull, pull us along, who help us discover in greater faith. Then he talks about healing. By the way, there's so many examples Throughout the New Testament, I'm not going to try and exemplify the works of Jesus, the works of Paul or Peter or John. The New Testament is full of these uh, examples of 
men of God, women of God, who walked in great faith and performed healing. Besides, uh, let me just say, it, in my translation, it says gift of healing, but it's really gifts of healings. It's plural. There are different kinds of healings, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. I'm not sure if that's the implication, but it is. it seems to be a plural connotation of what God wants to do in people's lives. And we have so many, again, examples in the New Testament of gifts of healings that God is, is moving and making people well. And then the third one is the working of miracles. And um, the word miracles here is that word that we just talked about that is power. It's dunamis. It's the same word here. Miracle, dunamis, power, workings of miracles that we see. Now, there is a difference between a level of power and, the, and a level of power, just as faith and faith are different. Are you all still with me? Everybody still I'm like, well, he's talking, he's using the same word over and over again. There are different, really, levels, but what I want us to see is there is power in what God wants to do. Dunamis, power, the word from which we get dynamite, uh, that explosive power of God that's at work within us. And again, I could go through the New Testament and talk about um, um, wait until you receive power, go and be my disciples. Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great what? power to, that is available to who? Those of us who believe. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power. That is the same word. His power is at work within us. That's what I want us to see. You know, you may say, well, I don't have miracle working power. Well, maybe not. But you've got more power than you think you've got. You've got more at work within you. Why else would Paul pray, ask a church in Ephesians and say to the believers there, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, idiots, in order that you know the hope to which he's called. There's that implication. Again, your eyes are closed to who you are and what you've received, this power Other words used in the Bible to talk about miracles or wonders, it, it, it's, it's in the word. It's that, wow, that's incredible. You know, that idea that you're just, it, something happens and it's a, it's a wonder. And then a, a word that's also used is a word for signs. Signs. Here's what I always say about signs. Signs are not where you camp, Right? Signs are pointing to you to where you're supposed to go. So we, this is a criticism of the church, is that we have, we love healings, miracles, prophecy. We love that stuff. But that stuff is a sign pointing us to something else. What is the something else it's pointing us to? It's actually a who. It's pointing us to Jesus. These things were given in order to say, there's Jesus. But what does the church do? Oh, I love prophecy. Let's camp here. Let's, oh, I love healings. Let's stay right here. Oh, I love this. You know, it's, 
it's not a bad thing to say, this is awesome, but it's awesome because of him. It's pointing me toward him. And this is what uh, these gifts do. Now, some people will call these sign gifts, faith, uh, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation. By the way, that term is never used in the, it's never used. These gifts and signs, as far as sign gifts, like these, uh, what I'll call controversial ones, these miraculous ones, these There's no term to call these sign gifts. But there's plenty of other passages that talk about miracles as being a a sign. In in Acts 2.22, Peter preaches and says, A man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. And by the way, the word miracles there is that same word power. By powers, wonders, and signs. We translate it, uh, it's been translated miracles. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, same thing. Those three words, miracles again here is the word power, were done among you with great perseverance. Here's my point in all of this is to say God commissioned these gifts. God has given you, some of you, incredible faith. Healing. Miracles. What happened? Where did, where, did, where did this go? You know, if I were to walk up to someone and say, today, you know what, you're a faith healer. That is not a compliment. And, you know, when you think of, oh, he's a faith healer. We have all these connotations in our heads now of things that are negative about it, not positive. Somehow it's been robbed from us of what God intends. Going back to my trip, I won't spend all day talking about my trip, but it was 50 hours of driving and 3,000 miles. Here, here's a picture of, uh, I just love showing you guys pictures. Here's a picture of uh, our rig, uh, you know, because that's how truck drivers talk. Uh, I don't know. This is a picture of our our truck and the car we were hauling. I'll, I'll give you more stories about things that went wrong uh, in the days ahead. And um, you know, we spent you know 50 hours in this cab of this truck with a dog uh, at our our feet. You know, you'd be driving along, and the dog—he's really, really a great dog. He's pretty quiet. Murphy is his name. But I'd be driving along and thinking about stuff, and then all of a sudden. He put his nose on my leg or licked my leg. And it's like, oh, what is that <laughs> coming after me? Um, anyway, so Jared and I, Jared's my oldest son, and we, were, we, we did a number of different things, talked a lot. It was just really, I, I'm, it was a fun time. How many uh, more opportunities in my life am I going to get to spend 50 hours with my grown son talking about life and things like that. We were listening to a podcast, and there's some guys I like. Um, it's called Remnant Radio. Uh, it's a couple of young pastors out of the Midwest who are, like us, continuationist, and they're doing a series on um, 
why do people say that some of these gifts are no longer in operation? So we listened to a sermon by a well-known pastor who is not a continuationist. He believes that some of the gifts, these miraculous gifts, these sign gifts have ceased. And we're going to talk about this in just a minute. So we listened to the sermon, and then I paused the podcast and said, okay, let's take this apart. Let's discuss what he just said. And his whole sermon was on healing. It was on um, the healing of Jesus. And he gave like six characteristics of the healing of Jesus and basically came to the point of saying, um, since we can't heal like Jesus did, then, or the early church, the apostles did, then the gift of healing is no longer in operation today. That was his, really, honestly, that was his premise. And he's right. You look at these six characteristics of the healings of Jesus, and there were a couple of them I disagreed with. I don't think he was adequate or accurate in his description of a certain characteristic of it, it at all. But he comes back to the place and says, look, since we, we, we don't see healings like this today, we don't see these kind of miracles today. Therefore, they don't exist today. So Jerry and I discussed it for a long time. And right away, for me, we got to it. And then the guys who discussed it also got to it, which is this. That's the stupidest argument I've ever heard. It sounds right, but it's dumb. Why is it dumb? Okay, take it off healings. It seems obvious, oh, these six healings, we can't do it like Jesus. Let's talk about the teaching of Jesus. Let's talk about the characteristics of the teaching of Jesus. Oh, I can't teach like Jesus did. Therefore, teaching must no longer be operable today. That would be the, that'd be the level of argument. Are you, are you all with me? In other words, the argument was, we can't heal like Jesus, so it must not even be like that. I'm like, I can't teach like Jesus, so it, that gift must not be operable today either then. It, yes, I can't heal like Jesus, but I can heal like God empowers me to and prays for me. doesn't mean I stop. I can't teach like Jesus. If that were my model and my goal, Lord help us, no one should ever open their mouths. But there are those who have said that these gifts have ceased. I'm going to move fast through these two. Really, I've got to get moving. Here are the four views of why about these sign gifts or miraculous gifts or um, like tongues and interpretation and others for today. That uh, The first one is that signs and wonders cease with the end of the apostolic age. In other words, when the first level apostles died out, then that's when the gifts cease. They were the ones who were given these, um, these gifts to point and establish the church. And once they died out, then the gifts died out. I'll come back to some of these in a minute. The second viewpoint is like the first, except it goes a little longer. It says that when signs and wonders ceased because they belonged only to the earliest centuries. They ceased because they were no longer needed as divine credentials since the church had been widely established and officially sanctioned. And the, here's the important part. The canon was complete. So the first one say it ceased when the apostles died. The second view says it ceased when the scripture 
came to be. And you may say, well, why would they say this? Well, their interpretation of 1 Corinthians 13 is that, you know, the part where it says, uh, when that which is perfect is come, that which is imperfect is done away with, you know, we won't need tongues and we won't need prophecy. Their interpretation is that which is perfect is a neutral noun. And so because it's neutral, then it's referring to the scripture coming. Are you all with me or am I talking too fast? Um, so that's when these gifts ceased. Now, we would say that's not what that means. We believe that what happens in 1 Corinthians 13 is a reference to the return of Christ that it's not referring to scripture that is perfect. It's returning to he who is perfect returning. Then those gifts will be done away with. But that's the first two. These are the main two views that have to do with called cessationism. The gifts, these miraculous gifts, these power gifts, whatever you want to refer to them like miracles, uh, healings, tongues, interpretation, those have, those have ceased. The third view is, and this is my favorite, signs and wonders faded out gradually as the condition of the organized church deteriorated. So in other words, we got bad and so they left, which I think is a horrible argument all the way around, but it is understandable because the church hasn't exactly been stellar in our history uh, at times. But to me, it's like saying, oh, you know, we didn't do good, so we'll just do away with it. And the fourth view is where we stand, which is that signs and wonders have never ceased among true Christian believers, but have occurred from the apostolic age until now. They've continued. Hence, I like the term continuationism. These gifts have continued and are continuing and will continue until Jesus comes back, and we don't, we don't need them at that point. Here's, here's part of my argument for this. Not only did Jesus give, give us the Great Commission, which I think we still have, he also gave us the same power, which I think we still have. And he says this, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others. Goes on and says, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Here's my thought. Without going too far into this. Why would Paul say eagerly desire these things? He, he, he could have said... I mean, he is talking to the Corinthian church. I understand. But why would it then become a part of Scripture to encourage us to eagerly desire them if they're done away with? Not only that, but if you look at the gift listing that's here, there's a great argument on what is a greater gift. I mean, teaching, administration, all of these are in here. How do we choose this gift, like apostle or prophet? They're done away with. But teacher, pastor, that one's good. How do we determine, pick and choose out of the list, besides that one reference in 1 Corinthians, which ones are, have 
cease. Now, I know I'm making a great argument, but some of you have come to me at times and say, I don't understand how part of the church could say these gifts have ceased. Um, I, I, you know what? I'm going to be in heaven with some of the great cessationists throughout history. Um, I, I, this is not an issue of are we going to heaven or not. Um, because these are men and women of God over history have disagreed on this topic. This is not a matter of fellowship even. Uh, rather, this is a matter of saying, how are we, fullness, going to accomplish the mission that God has given us as a church to accomplish? And my idea is this. Let's use all the tools God has given us. Let's use them all. And we believe that they're still in operation today. So the question then comes, okay, let's say we are a church like fullness. Why don't we see more of this? Where, where is it? Why don't we see more miracles? Why don't we see more healing? Well, we believe that they're happening. Why not? I read an illustration, a story of... of thought in a book. The guy was talking about butterflies and how much we love butterflies and just, they're gorgeous. We just are enamored with butterflies. Have you ever been one of those butterflies zoos where they like fly all over you? <laughs> when my granddaughter was at one and her mom was trying to say, no, do not kill the butterfly when it lands on you. Because, you know, they're landing her. She's trying to like, well, what's that thing doing here? We love them. We love to examine the beauty of them. We love them so much that we put them in these boxes and display them and hang them around our house. Now, what's the difference between picture one and picture two? Well, picture two is dead. Yeah. The beauty is there, but it's dead. People, my contention is this. We do this to the Word of God. We display it. We hold it up, we study it, and we rob it of its life. We take the power from the Word of God in our discussion of it to the point that it held. It's still beautiful. It still has meaning, but the life is gone. We do that with spiritual gifts. We're not discussing spiritual gifts so that you'll go out of here better educated about spiritual gifts. You're going out of here, hopefully, praying that the God of power would move in your life. That you could pray for somebody to be healed and they'd actually be healed. And then, because they're healed, you then have the open door to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Why would God give you a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge about someone that you could then share with someone so that the door is then open that you can minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could it be that one of the reasons we don't see this is because we've now robbed the life out of the meaning of the word of God. In our love for it and the beauty of it, we no longer really, really desire, eagerly desire, passionately pursue. That's the name of this study. Passionate pursuit. Passionately pursue spiritual gifts. Just give me five more minutes. 
That's a pastor deal. It means nothing. Five minutes means, <laughs> I'm just telling you. We say that all the time. So if you ever go, it's loosely interpreted when the pastor goes, give me five minutes. He doesn't, he's just going to keep you longer. But I'm going to. <laughs> Glad I'm back. Missed me for five weeks. All right, thanks. <laughs> He's like, you bring those other guys back. <laughs> Jesus, led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, got Matthew, Mark, Luke record some level of the temptation experience. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, let these stones become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. It is written, he will command. The devil's quoting scripture here. By the way, not everybody who quotes scripture is of God. Just thought I'd throw that one in. You can hold that till later. For he will command his angels concerning you, that they will not lift up their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. You're like, what? whoa, we went from spiritual gifts to the temptation experience really quick. I'm trying to answer the question of why do we not see more of this miraculous work of God in our lives? The devil comes to Jesus, and he says, you hungry? Make these stones into, into bread. Now, he does say if, but he says, if you're the son of God, then do this. Take some to the high place. If you're the son of God, then fly like Superman. His angels will take care of you. Then he quotes scripture that's a messianic scripture that he's referring to Jesus. Then he takes him to a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of this world, says, worship me, I'll give you all of this. Here's my first point. The devil is not really questioning whether Jesus can do these things or not. I think the implication is here is clear. The devil knows he could turn those stones into bread. The devil knows the angels would guard him if he came up. In other words, miracles, turning stones into bread, I don't know about you, I count that miraculous. Okay, thanks. I, can, I, count that, I count that miraculous. Taking a leap off a high place, not dying, miraculous. Incredible faith. You know, that cliff thing? Jesus is the one who could jump, and it, it would be fine. In other words, the devil is not questioning whether Jesus is doing, can do these things, will do these things. He's going to the heart of why. Why is he going to do these things? Are you doing this to draw attention to yourself? Are you doing this to feed yourself? Are you doing this for the worship of others? Jesus has to answer these questions before he then proceeds into the rest of his ministry. 
Now, Jesus is going to do a lot of these things. He's going to take bread. He's going to multiply it. He's going to walk on water. He's going to heal incredible amounts of people. He's going to do all of this stuff. But at the outset, the call is, with what heart are you going to do it? Could it be that the church doesn't see these things because we've lost the purity of heart about why we're doing them? Could it be that we have turned faith miracles, healing into private jets and gated communities? Could it be that we've done it to the point that what we, what's come out of it is not a heart for Jesus, but a building up of ourselves in a worship of self? My call, my, I, I grieve. I grieve because the commission is not getting done at the level, we're losing ground. And it seems as if the less power that we have, the more ground that we lose. I believe Jesus is calling his church back to a purity of heart to say you should worship God and worship him alone. And as you do, by the power of the Spirit, I want to release in you these weird gifts these power gifts, these miraculous gifts as a sign that I'm still at work on the earth today. And as we do, what is it going to take in our skeptical, doubting nation and world to turn from the arguments that we have with people to Jesus? By the way, here's my argument. It's not going to take more arguments. It's not going to take more words. These men were attested to you with signs, wonders, miracles. If we indeed are a church that believes in the continuing power of God on the earth today, then we want to see what God will do. We want to see how he's going to work in miraculous ways. Do we not? So my encouragement to you, this is the whole point of the sermon. The point of the sermon is, it's possible. Because you serve a God who can do nothing. No word from God is without power. Nothing is impossible with him. Lord, I pray today that the eyes of our heart would indeed be open so that we can see hope and inheritance and power, incomparably great power that is available to those of us who believe. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be pure before you, that instead of using gifts to build up ourselves, our own names, that instead, God, we would use it to point people to the good news of Jesus in the world around us. Lord, we, we are people of hope. We're people who've been set apart for the good news. We're people who have you working in us. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We joy in you today.
Spirit of God, move among us. I ask, may faith rise up in this place today. Oh, God, we thank you. Stand up with me. Just for a second, we're going to worship. Just for, just center your thoughts, center your mind, center your heart. And then um, I'm going to have the ministry teams, while we're singing this song, I'm just going to have the ministry teams, please, come to the front. Because I think there's some of you today who need healing. I know. I know what's going on in different people's lives. There's physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, mental healing. Some of you need healing from addictions in your life. You need chains to fall off. You need to walk in freedom. Listen, we're, we're a broken people. Let's just admit it. We've got problems. And it's not bad for us to say we've got problems. But I see no reason for you to leave here with the same problem you came in here with. What if God wants to do something great in your life today? Would you give him that opportunity? Would you give him that moment if we actually believe in faith and healing and miracles? To see one happen in your life to set you free to walk in power? So that you go from this place in a way that glorifies his name? Sing this together. The chains fall. Let fear bow. Let Jesus be at work in your life. And then after we, we're going to, you're going to come and receive prayer. Let's sing it together.